be appropriate, let's start with Psalm 1. We won't do all 100 enough David, we'll go to Psalm 1. So if you would turn to Psalm 1 of the Psalter. We will look at this short psalm this morning. We will be meeting next week, in fact, uh, first, the next three weeks, it's every week, so that's good, so we will be here next week. Psalm 1, how happy is the one... Who, has, who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of arrogant fools. Uh, we'll talk about that. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He intently studies his commands day and night. He's like a tree planted by flowing streams that yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. Certainly the Lord rewards the behavior of the godly, but the behavior of the wicked is self-destruction. Many scholars see Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as the intro to this entire Psalter. Psalm 1 is dealing with wisdom on an individual basis. Psalm 2 is dealing on a corporate level, and that's there in your notes. And Psalm 1, uh, as, we're, as we journey through the Psalter, I've intentionally picked different genres or different types of psalms. There's a royal psalm. There's This one is a wisdom psalm. And what do I mean by that? And that's there in that second paragraph in your notes. It says, wisdom psalm is something that's characterized as a capacity of judging rightly in matters relationship in relation to life and conduct. It's the skill of living. It's not so much what the learner is to know or what the student is to do, but rather what the learner is to be. Character formation is the heart of true wisdom. That's what we're looking at. It's a transformed life. Uh, we often say oh, that person is so book smart that they have no common sense. Right? Uh, that's with the psalmist, that's not the case. The book smart goes with the common sense. It, 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 it spills over in what he's daily living. And that's what we're going to see here, particularly in Psalm 1. The psalmist starts out, as we see here, and he deals first with the blessed man. He says, happy is the guy, right? Rejoicing. Now, I don't know about you, but normally when we think of happy as a group of guys, right, it might be season tickets to the Colts. That, that would make us happy, right? Uh, where's, where's Tom Flynn? Right? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, or maybe it's a vacation in Bora Bora. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's a $250 gift card to Lowe's. That makes you happy. Right? And that's my dad. Well, his, his is Menards, but anyway. Spends more time and money in Menards than anywhere else, I think. Or maybe it's a bowl of ice cream. I don't know. What makes you happy? But for the psalmist, that's not what he's talking about, right? He, he's going to give us a formula for what is true happiness. And he first talks on the negative side, and he says that's avoiding wickedness. And you see that there uh, in the psalm. He starts with what you're not to do. And the Psalter has what we call parallelism in Hebrew poetry. Uh, and often what that is, is the psalmist or the writer is restating something he's just stated for the purpose of, of drawing attention, drawing you in to the, the, 
process. And he says, watch what he states here, you know, not to take the advice of the wicked, stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly. Watch the assembly, because later we're going to see the assembly of the righteous, but here's the assembly of the fool. And it's interesting, there could be a progression here. Uh, some scholars see that, where at first it's just listening, uh, the next thing you know, ultimately they're sitting down in the gate with the elders. You know, it's, it reminds me of Lot, doesn't it? He pitches his tent, the next thing you know, we see him at the gate. He's one of the elders of the Sodom and Gomorrah. Cities on the plain. You know, what are you doing, Lot? And the, the song is saying, be careful that you don't get hooked into this. Because true happiness is not going to be found there. You're going to be miserable. And he's going to talk more about what happens to those who pursue that end in a minute. But in verse 2, he uses a, a word that we're going to see twice in the Psalter here. And it, it's going to be instead, and he's going to give us what we need to do. And we'll see that in a minute. I mentioned in your notes under verse 1, happiness, which occurs almost 30 times in the Psalter, is a term that conveys true joy and true contentment. I put up some of those funny photos, but I mean, just think about what people perceive the joy in our, in our culture, right? Contentment. Whether it be uh, a business transaction, the thrill of the, the hunt, the going shopping. That's my wife. Don't say I told you that, or I will shoot you later. <laughs> I got a great deal. I saved 30 bucks. I'm like, where is it? <laughs> Glad you saved it. Where's the money? <laughs> she loves to shop. And the sad part is it's contagious because my daughter now has um, it might be drugs. I don't know. Right? What what uh, the world has defined as true joy and true contentment, sadly enough. But the psalmist is again, as we see, is saying, no, it's not this. Instead, it's delighting in God's word. That's what he's doing this morning. Applaud you for that. And notice what he says. Notice what he implies, because he says in verse two. It's obeying. It's interesting. He starts there, obeying. He intently studies his command day and night. I teased out some implications of this. There's four of them at the bottom of the page. The first of these is obedience is clearly, it's not even implied, it's explicit, right? If you want true happiness, true joy, true contentment, you obey God's word. I've had students in my office say, I don't know if I'm truly saved. I don't know if I'm truly his. And, you know, their life, they're just miserable. And to me, that's a great indication they are his. Because <laughs> they are miserable. Because <laughs> they're living in sin. They're not following the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is just convicting their, their socks off. That's great. That's a good sign. Because we can move from there. We need to repent and get moving. Because a true righteous person is going to be joyful and content. By being in the Word, and in particular here, as we see obeying it. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Right? Those of you who know Jesus. You know, there's nothing more miserable when you're not walking with the Lord. And the Spirit's taking a two-by-four and hitting you upside the head. Right? <laughs> Genuinely, uh, obe obedience. Secondly, as we see here, is a continual study. It's intense. This isn't a... Occasional, I'm going to open the Bible up and read a verse and go on my day. 
This was intentional study. Um, and you're doing that. You're here this morning, and I, I know several of you talked about your own personal study that you have in the mornings and, or in the evenings, whichever, whatever works best for you. Keep it up. Keep it up. David and I were talking about uh, training young people and also training adults in the void that's been there in certain cultures. Uh, we want to keep that up. Here's a third. Third is the Torah. That is the Hebrew scriptures. If we can expand that to the Bible. It's seen as the source of long life, peace, and prosperity. That's seen here in this next part, isn't it? This isn't a name it and claim it. This isn't him driving a convertible Bentley or a Lamborghini or a Ferrari. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, think of uh, the Psalms and God giving you the desire of the heart, but it's one who's eclipsed by God's will. There's one who's delighting in the Lord, doing the things of the Lord, right? We talked about that before in the book of James. <coughs> Thankfully, this isn't as convicting as James, right? No, it's good. I'm glad we're in the Psalms now. It makes you feel good. Um, so, and then here's the last. It presupposes that wisdom and understanding, and this is key, that they're available. This isn't something that, you know, you have to have a seminary degree to obtain. Thank goodness, right? Who wants to go to cemetery? Uh, it, it doesn't mean that you have to, to have a full-time vocational position within the church to understand this. No. I've taught high school kids who, who have an unbelievable command of the scripture. Why is beyond the reach? Why? We're in it. We're studying it. Right? And so those are some of the implications that we, we see which result in true happiness. And so what he's doing, he's giving us kind of a railroad track. What leads to true happiness? On one rail, it's not doing what's wrong. Avoiding wickedness. And, and by the way, Romans 12 is clear. you got to be very proactive in that, don't you? If we, we just sit by and cruise, we're toast. It's, it's an offense. Of, so avoiding evil, but the second part is pursuing divine instruction. And when both rails are, we're running on both rails, the sucker's going to move forward. Questions on this? It's very straightforward. We all know this. The psalmist, is he's, he lays out again, I see this as an intro to the entire Psalter. What's true wisdom? What does it mean to walk with God? That means true happiness. That means avoiding wickedness. Questions? Oh, you all got it? Okay. Well, let's move along then and look at this. He gives then a, an image here. He, he uses the, the notion of a tree as we see in verse 3 in the text. He says, He's like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fell off, fall off. What does, he talk, what does he say about the tree? Help us out. What does he say about the tree? Planted by stream. Okay. There's a water source. And uh, there aren't many trees in the Holy Land. Well, at least in certain areas, right? I take you down to the Negev, down in southern Israel. Trust me, at about this time of year, you were very happy if you find a tree in the negative. Because <laughs> you'd have shade. Um, if you 
see a lot of trees, that means there's a water source. You go down to En Gedi, where David hid from Saul. There's, a, there's this huge waterfall there with trees all around, right? Because there's a water source. What else does he say about the trees? It produces fruit. Produces fruit, all right? Good. Which indicates it's alive and healthy. What else? What else indicates that it's alive and healthy? What's the text say? The leaves do not wither. Yeah, the leaves don't wither. They're, they're green. And uh, they're not affected by the heat or the sun. In your notes, I think there's also some issues that we can draw from this metaphor as well. As we look at this in relationship to the righteous person, the source of life is found outside ourselves. True contentment, true joy, is not going to be fulfilling one's desires. That's what the world would have us, right? You deserve a break today. You deserve this. This is what, you, you, you know. Well, look at the commercials. Next time you're flipping through the TV and channels and, and you're, you're, listen to what they're trying to say. You know, someone's really smiling and happy because they got a brand new car. <laughs> you know? Until it gets wrecked. But anyway, uh, the source, uh, that flowing stream that's outside of oneself. Here's the second thing. A healthy tree produces fruit in season. What did Jesus say about us as followers of Christ? Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And we produce fruit, right? Look at John 15. Let's just turn there briefly. John chapter 15, great text. Jesus says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit. So what? It will bear more fruit. You are clean already, and then he goes on. And then notice what he says in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. Right? It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Hophidus, or the fruit of Bruce. Not the fruit of the believer. It's the fruit of the Spirit working in us that indicates that we are truly His. Right? That's what Hebrews, Hebrews 3 talks about this as well. And so the fruit is a natural result. It's going to come. You're going to bear it. And it's, it's so in season, tree doesn't bear bananas. A righteous person bears righteous fruit. And that also indicates that it's a natural result. It comes from the person. In proper time it will be produced. And then one more. We'll open it for questions and comments. The reference to prosperity speaks here, and I have this in your notes, of a person controlled by the Lord. Godly actions and actions which are divinely directed. Turn to Psalm 37. The psalmist elsewhere brings this out. Psalm 37. The psalm by David, verse 4, it says, 
Then you will take delight in the Lord, and He will answer your prayers. Commit your future to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act on your behalf. Verse 7, wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret over the apparent success of the sinner. Do not be angry and frustrated. Because why? God is going to vindicate. That's why this great verse in verse 25 of chapter 37, Psalm 37, 25, I was once young and now I'm old, and I've never seen a godly man abandoned or his children forced to search for food. Isn't that a great verse? God will take care of you. He is going to sustain you in this process. The one who is righteous, joy and contentment. God is going to direct you. He's going to provide. And as Jesus stated in John 15, because I am in you and you are in me, you will bear fruit. It will come. And uh, you will be blessed because you follow after me. Questions on the, the image of a tree? Again, I, I take you to southern Israel where there are very they're shrubs. They call them trees. We call them shrubs, uh, being from Indiana. But uh, I remember one, our one guy, he goes, oh, this is fabulous. Let's all get under the shade here. Get under the tree. Uh, so it's a great image uh, for our audience here uh, living in Israel. Well, he goes back to the, the wicked person, and he uses an image of, for them, and it's not a tree, it's chaff. Notice what he says. So with the wicked, they are like wind-driven chaff. For the wrist reason, the wicked cannot uh, withstand judgment. He's going to go on. There in your notes, I mentioned the wicked uh, and their lack of relationship with God. And I've given you a chart there, and, I, and I've said, let's, let's just compare, let's contrast, I should say, the, the wicked with the righteous. Let's just do that. Let's just make a list. Got the righteous man. Here's the wicked. Based on these two images, what are the differences that we see between the two? Okay, obviously, one is a tree, one is chaff. Run with those images that our psalter is using. No source of, no source of life. Yeah. There, there is no source of life. stability, right? Stable, lack of stability. Think about uh, even our in our work through James that we did, James 1, right? The unrighteous one is, is unstable in all his ways. Tossed to and fro. We looked at. Yeah, what else? Delight in instruction or the law? Say that again, I'm sorry? Delight in instruction or yeah, the law? There is Commitment or delight in the law. Good. What else with these images between the tree and the chaff? What else do we see? The, the tree can uh, consistently produce fruit each season. 
us outside of what you're looking to talk about, but would it be helpful to define and or talk about what is a wicked man? Sure. Let's, let's back up. Not just what happens to him when he's wicked, but what, <laughs> how, what how makes is, a man wicked? We, we've not looked at this in depth with the, the, the Psalms, but uh, just thinking through the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, how would you define wicked man? Self-serving. Self-serving. Good. What else? Judgmental. Judgmental. It's certainly one who's not uh, in the word, nor obeying the word, right? Um, the psalmist makes some assumption uh, on these two categories of people that you under you will understand very quickly, uh, and his assumption I think is wrapped up in verse two, and that is, and it's all it's it's. Uh, he reminds me of John. It's all black and white. Either. You are in the word and obeying it, or you're over here and you're not in the word and God's word and you're not obeying. And this is righteous, this is unrighteous, this is wicked. And ultimately, the wicked one is the self-serving one. I think that was great, Stephen. You said that. Um, this one is is seeking to serve God. Does that help? It's yeah. a, that's a very gross mm -hmm. overview. <laughs> And you just think through, having read through the Psalms, uh, he's going to come back to that time and time again. This is this is the one who walks in righteousness. Uh, this is God's people. This is the one God protects. Which Psalm Psalm thirty seven. This is the one God's going to curse. And 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 that's seen here in verses five and six, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, there's no middle ground for the psalmist. Either you are walking in righteousness and seeking the Lord. You're not saying you'll be perfect. You're here, or you're over here, and you're toast. Right? Does that, I don't know, does that help? Thank you. No, it was great. Um, and so his images are, are kind of solidifying what he's trying to say. It's this group, 
have nothing to offer. They serve themselves at the end of the day with toast. This is the one who is thriving. David. Yes. I was just going to say the wicked, uh, they do not repent and turn their sinful ways in the right direction and follow. follow yeah, that's really, that's interesting. This book, um, I don't, look at what he says about judgment here in, in, in the text. He says, for this reason, verse 5, I'm gonna, that's, I like what you just said. The wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join, watch this, the assembly of the godly. Again, there's only two assemblies. Assembly of a fool, and a fool in Scripture is one who says there's no God or, or, or who downplays God's reputation. Right? That's this assembly, or there's this one. There's no middle ground. There's no other assembly. This isn't for the mediocres, all right, or the agnostics. Uh, there's, it doesn't exist. But what's interesting in verse 5 is that judgment seems to be already taking place. So, um, kind of reminds you of Hebrews. <laughs> the judgment's already on them because they've not held fast. They've not demonstrated what is already true. They are not of this assembly, they're of this one. No grace either. I'm sorry? No grace either. Well, I think we can see grace in the psalmist, but what the, similar to Proverbs, the psalmist is looking at the landscape of humanity and saying, look, this is what we've got going on. We've got this group who, who seeks to serve the Lord, we've got this group who doesn't. Um, I think you can still see grace in the psalmist writings, and we'll get to that later on. But Psalm 1 is simply saying, listen, as we enter this Psalter, we need to know there's two camps. This camp seeks to delight in the Lord. This and so he even uses, it's a way of life. Certainly the godly rewards the be Certainly the Lord rewards the behavior of the godly. But the believers, but the, excuse me, the behavior of the wicked is self-destructive. So this, this way of life, it's a, it's a manner which characterizes them. And repentance isn't on the, the, the table at the moment. What he's saying is, this group is here, and they delight in this, and God is judging. Yeah, Jerry. I've always kind of looked at that as the givers and the takers. <laughs> yep. There's not any middle ground. You're either born a giver or you evolve, you're either a giver or a taker. You're either continually giving or you're continually taking. Well, certainly the tree gives, gives shade, gives fruit. That's good. Good. Other comments on this? Judgment I have down at the bottom about being present. We could look at Psalm 37 again, but it's there. For the wicked, it's a course of life. Um, in fact, let's, let me just, on wickedness, let me show you one other. Let me turn to Proverbs 12. Let's just look at the over to Proverbs 12 uh, about the wicked. Verse 26. giving you an idea of the behavior, the course of life between the righteous and the wicked. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous person is cautious in his friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You get this idea, turn back to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, verse 19, is again, drawing this out for us and understanding the two camps. Proverbs 4, verse 19, The way of the wicked is like gloomy darkness. They do not know what causes them to stumble. 
And so this can't forget it when it comes to happiness, joy, contentment, true happiness, right? It's not a season ticket to the Colts games, right? For this group who seeks to, to be tapped into the stream, to use this image, that bears fruit, God is going to bless. Questions? <coughs> Thoughts? Yes. Question. Last half of chapter, verse 5. Uh, sinners will not be able to stand where righteous people gather. Can you expound on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, I think he's going back, obviously, to what he says at the very beginning. And that is, they stand the pathway of sinners. They, they have this fellowship that they, they, the wicked do. And then he says, uh, verse 5, for sinners, they cannot participate in righteousness um, because they aren't part of it, number one. And number two, I would argue, they're already under judgment. This group is being blessed. There's no way they can be a part of the blessed ones. They can't produce fruit. They can't be part of that living by the Spirit. Chris? Um, there's a um, conundrum in this in this verse, and I, maybe you can speak to it, but I don't think anybody that would read this passage would call themselves a wicked man. They'd say that they're in the... I mean, generally speaking, the first time they read it, they're going to put themselves in the, in the good category. That's right, and that's why you're going to have the rest of the Psalter to flesh this out. This truly is what a righteous person is. This is what a wicked person is. Um, but even in Psalm 1, he's still making it clear the distinction between the two. And the listener, the, the reader, is going to have to, under, to determine, am I in this camp? Do I delight in the things of the Lord? Do I obey? If not, I'm find myself over here. But you're right. Uh, this it's kinda of, again, this is the intro, I would argue, to the next several chapters. Yes. Um, <coughs> it's striking to me how um, if you look at the lineage of Israel and the kings and how you know a certain king followed Christ <coughs> and Israel was was prosperous and the next king denied Christ and Israel was there's a, there's a very clear um, correlation there of the righteous king and the unrighteous king and, and what happened to the entire you know, land of Israel. And not just the king, but it's the promise made to the Israelites, right? You, you obey me, I will bless you. You don't obey me, you're going to be cursed. But you're right, the, the kings are great object lessons, <laughs> unfortunately, especially the kings from the north, uh, of what it means not to walk. Um, I just wanted to say, I think it's very telling and interesting because in talking about the, you know, the trees and, and, and things like that, one of them lends itself to be, to reproduce itself. And, you know, if it's bearing the fruit, then it's going to obviously make seeds and then more will grow and more good will come from it. I think that with, on the other side, if a tree that doesn't bear fruit or only maybe does it once, those seeds are not going to stick. They're not going to stay. It's not going to continue when it's amongst other 
uh, we have other reefs that are soaking in all of the all of the water, all of the stuff, and then they're going to overtake. The reason that the other ones can't stand there is because the you know it needs sunlight and other things and to nourish it, and it can't. You can uh, almost make that into a parable. Parable <laughs> the sower, <laughs> right? I mean that's you're right. That's exactly what you got uh, when you're you're talking about that. Let me let me give you good. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're right. Let me give you uh, some things to walk away with. Let's, just, let's do this briefly, uh, so we'll end on a timely fashion. First of these is true happiness. I think we want to know is available to all. Uh, there's an opportunity for anyone to join in this assembly of the righteous. But what that means, we'll see in a second. But uh, the world's false sense of happiness. It's exclusive, isn't it? You have to be a part of this good old boys here if you want to be, you know, belong to our particular club. Uh, you have to have certain athletic abilities or talents if you want to join us to be truly happy. Psalm 34. Let's look at this. Turn to Psalm 34. We're just going to look at a couple texts here. Wrapping it up. Psalm 34, verse 8. Uh, this is... On every church cookbook, <laughs> this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the one who takes shelter in him. I don't know about you, but at times I forget that. The Lord is good. <clears throat> Taste and see. When uh, my little boat, my little dinghy is getting tossed to and fro with the storms of life, sometimes easy to forget. Yeah, you're in charge, God, and you are good, and I can delight in you. And uh, it's like, why didn't I write the thing first, you know? I tried to get out my toolbox and resolve it myself without first running to him and allowing him to lead, him to direct. And, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Savor it. Right? It's what the psalmist is saying. Consume it. This is where true happiness is found. And Psalm 1 is laying out, again, this entire Psalter. And he's saying, listen, you want true happiness, joy, and contentment in life? And man, don't we all, right? Go outside and do a little survey. What we all desire is contentment. In fact, it's such an issue that we've got several great prominent English pastors from days gone by that wrote whole books on divine contentment. Such as Thomas Watson, one of my favorite authors. What does it mean to be content? <laughs> uh, and ultimately, Watson's going to boil it down. It's a man who, who is vast in, in, in bathing in God's word and is relishing that relationship. Psalm 34 is saying the same thing, right? True happiness. Here's a. Oh, what happened? We lost it, did we? Oh, dearest. Your screen's timed out. give you the second one. It's in your notes. So sorry. <laughs> we'll go on. True happiness is rooted in something other than ourselves or what the world can offer. The Lord is the only source. Again, this goes without saying. You're saying, how about if I woke up early this morning and came over here to hear this? I know this. Yeah, but it's a good reminder, isn't it, for all of us. Psalm 40, verse 4. Look at Psalm 40. Again, 
happiness, blessedness, nearly 30 times in the Psalter, here it is again. How happy is the one who trusts in the Lord and does not seek help from the proud or from the liars. Who's the proud of the liars? This assembly, assembly of the fools. Why would you seek advice? Why would you stand in their way? Why would you sit down with them? <coughs> right? The psalmist said, what do they have to offer? They're like chaff. They're dead. You need to be over here. The source of, oh Lord, my God, he goes on, you've accomplished many things. I've seen your, it's Psalm 13. We're going to look at that psalm. Where, and the psalmist starts out, God, where are you in the midst of all this? It's almost blasphemous. He says, I've seen what you've done. And he concludes, at the end of that very short psalm, I can trust you. You are in charge. I know that. As I look at the past, this doesn't make sense in the present, or certainly in the future, but I, I rest here. I know this. And why? Because it's a man who's in the Word, who knows the promises of God, who's seen the hand of God bear fruit in the past and can rest there. Right? That brings contentment. That brings ultimate joy. The Lord is the source. That's not the case with this assembly. And then here's the last one. True happiness is found in an active, and you knew I was going to say this, right? Ongoing study of God's word. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're not going to read all the verses. We'll just read the first eight, okay? Um, notice what it says. How happy are those whose actions are blameless, who obey, watch this, the law of the Lord. Again, happiness again. In case you missed it, verse 2. How happy are those who observe his rules and seek him with all their heart, who moreover do no wrong, but obey the demands. You demand that your precepts be carefully kept. If only I were predisposed to you, statutes. Isn't that an interesting statement? My heart does not want to follow. I, I struggle. Then I would not be ashamed if I were focused on all your commands. I will give you sincere thanks when I learn your just regulations. That, I would argue, is grace, by the way. I will keep your statutes. Do not completely abandon me. I rest in you. I rest in you. Of course, it's interesting that twice he starts with happy and a psalm that speaks often and is focused on the importance of God's word. How happy is the Lord? Comments? Questions? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you established that one aspect of true happiness is delighting in God's word. Well, I was struck by a phrase, and I think we've all read it before, but it's Psalm 1, verse 2, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. It's not just reading your Bible in the morning and forget about it until the next day or coming here on Tuesday mornings and waiting until next Tuesday. It says you're meditating on it day and night. Yeah, and the Hebrew term there for meditation is really a very intense study. It's an in-depth study. <laughs> One of the things I would love to do with this as a group down the road is Bible study methods. Is just do spend ten weeks. How do you study the Bible in depth? And we just take it, we work through that, and do some skills 
and work through it. But that would mean some homework, so I don't know. You have to think about that when you work through it. But it, it's how I study this stuff, right? You get to numbers and the wheel falls off your tricycle. <laughs> well, we're going to read through the Bible until I got to there. Uh, but the, that's what Psalm 1 is saying. Verse 2, that Hebrew term, it's in fact, the net Bible, I think that's how they render it, don't they? Yes. Intently, <coughs> they translate it, he intently studies his command. It's dwelling on it. It's just oozing out of the brain. Right? Day and night. I mean, I mean constantly. Um, keep it up. That's what you guys are doing. You don't need to come to iron to iron Bible study, but uh, it's part of your makeup, your DNA for the week. May we be found as men who are in this assembly, right? Delighting in the things of the Lord. It's a good reminder for the rest of this week, isn't it? Any other comments, cries of outrage? Yes. There's this in verse 6, the contrast there. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked will perish. And, you know, those are obviously, there's a contrast there, but obviously the, the Lord has. He has knowledge of the wicked, but that knows the righteous, that's a relational, that's an experiential knowledge. It's it's the relationship. And I think through this whole thing, it's just huge that, yeah, we have the word of the Lord. We have the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord with us. I mean, he is speaking to us. And it's just that whole relationship. So when we're standing over here, we're sitting with these people, or we're living or abiding in a relationship with these people and with the Lord, what I love about John 15. I am in you and you are in me. You, you can't bear fruit unless there's intimacy. There's, we've been brought into that equation, which is very mysterious. I don't fully understand it. Even We could have another hour to have you explain it. I, this whole idea that we've been brought into this relationship that Christ has with the Father so that we too, he knows us, and we too then can be ambassadors of him as we bear fruit. Yes, great stuff. Well, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these men. And Lord, thank you for your word. And that you know us. And that we have the opportunity to be ambassadors for you. Uh, to, uh, to yield fruit. And Lord, thank you that we are happy men. Not happy in a world sense, but happy in a biblical sense. That there's joy and contentment. And doesn't mean life will be easy. And for many, it's not right now. But ultimately, we are still joyful. We are still content because our anchor is rooted in the very throne room through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Well, have a great week, uh, Ian. Again, it was great having you all the way from England. And uh, Lord bless you guys. We'll see you again next week. We'll